0: Please turn with me to Mark chapter 4, as we'll be looking at verses 21 through 34 today. We won't get quite to the end of the chapter as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Before we begin today, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask that He help us with His Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, and as we open up our copies of your word, and as we seek wisdom from it, Lord, we pray that you help us, because at best we come with vision that is blurred by the cares of this world, the concerns for our loved ones, the concerns of our nation, and just everything else that's clouded. We pray that our focus would be on you, that you would open our eyes and our ears, our hearts that we might see and hear and understand and know who you are, that you would lead us to the truth, that you would convict our hearts of the sin that is there, that which continues to war against us as we seek to serve you. So, Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish that which you want it to do this morning. In our hearts, as we open it here this morning for you, And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this text this morning, it's continuing this idea of the kingdom of God and some different parables that Jesus is going to teach it remind me of a story in a larger story, a story for we're all familiar with, in the Harry Potter series. And, you know, Harry is a, uh, he's the seeker on his house Quidditch team, and I'm going to, if you don't know what that is, then you can just, you know, look it up or whatever. But he has to fly through the air, and he's looking for this little thing called the snitch, and it's this small little flying thing, and he has to find it before the other team finds it, and it's, you know, it's a whole game. And so the first snitch that he captures has some significance to him, but he doesn't really understand how significant it is until much later in the story when it comes back to him. And after some events, there's a message on the snitch that says, I open at the close. Like so much of what goes on in stories like this and others, there's everything kind of builds toward the end. And the things that didn't make sense early on really start to make a whole lot of sense at the end as more and more things are revealed to you. The snitch opens up at an appointed time, and I won't tell you anything about that, but all of a sudden everything makes sense to us, the reader, to Harry, and to many others. This isn't uncommon at all in literature, especially in long series of books and those sorts of things where you have things that are revealed over the course of the story, and honestly, you just kind of want to reread the whole thing because you're like, okay, now that I see everything, it'll all make more sense if I read it again. That's what ends up happening a lot of times. Wouldn't you know it? The Bible is arranged much in the same way. So much of the Old Testament, as we read through it, is this, this shadow, this, this thing that is veiled to us. And it's not until the coming of Christ, That we see so much of that revealed and it starts to make a whole lot of sense. But then even as Christ dies and is resurrected, even more begins to make sense. As we read in the book of John, the disciples are like, whoa, it really didn't even make sense to us until he went on to be with his father in heaven. And there are so many things that are unclear as we read them the first time that start to clear up as we grow in his mercy and grace. In our text today, Jesus has several parables for us to understand, each of them generally being about this concept of the kingdom of God. And as we work through them, we're going to remember this general principle concerning parables, that it's about us, it's about the status of our hearts. As we read and learn, we'll hope to gain understanding on how we might serve the Lord better. And so, as we come to this text, I want to divide it into three main areas. The hidden light, the mysterious seed, and then the powerful seed. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 21. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger Then all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just for a bit of context, remember... Last week we looked at we looked at the parable of the sower, where Jesus talked about all the different types of soil that were were represented, and they represented the hearts of mankind and how they received the message of the kingdom, which were those seeds that were being sown. We are sometimes that sower that is sowing those seeds. Sometimes then we are also the receiver of that seed, and our hearts do with it. Um, Based on how we receive that, that word. But God is in the end the one that makes it grow. We see that in our passage today. Remember as we went through this, what is the focus of the parable? The focus is not on us. The focus is on Christ. The focus is on His glory. I think many times when we come to a passage like this, we think, how is this passage about me? The parable of the mustard seed is a great example of this. Many people use this parable as a barometer for their faith. They'll think, well, I don't have good faith because, you know, I can't move mountains. There's that other passage about having the faith of a mustard seed. And if you could just have that kind of faith, you could say to the mountain, go into the sea, and it would obey you. It's true that Jesus does tell us that, but the point of that is not about us it's about how we are actually very incapable and god alone is the one who makes those sorts of things possible Were we left to our own devices we'd and we'd only have faith in ourselves which is barely enough to get us out of bed in the morning much less move mountains passage isn't about praying over financial debt or getting a new car or anything like that it's about the goodness of Christ to save sinners like you and me. And about how the kind of power that he has, we can only have access to when we are at his feet, not trying to stand side by side with him. And so as we look at these parables, remember Christ is first, and that's going to help us a lot. So let's look first in at the hidden light, verses 21 through 23. He said to them as a lamp brought in meaning like into a house to be put under a basket or under a bed or on a stand so think about this think about the context the historical context it was dark and when it got dark outside that mean it got dark on the inside You didn't walk over to the wall and flip a switch and turn the light on that was still about 1800 plus years away and so when it got dark outside, they had to get other things in order to light the house. They had to get a candle or something like that. And that's how they ate. That's how they read. A lot of times they just went to sleep because, you know, there's not a whole lot else to be doing when it's dark in the house. You get the idea. So when Jesus says, why would you bring a light in and then cover it up? You kind of get the idea. It's, it, everyone's standing around like, yeah, nobody would do that. That's crazy. It completely defeats the purpose of that light coming into the house in the first place. In John chapter 1, we read about Jesus. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. Jesus' coming marks a distinct change in the way... That we look at the Scripture. It reveals to us. It's like bringing that candle in to the dark room. All of a sudden, you can see things that you didn't realize were there just a few seconds earlier. No longer would it be a coming hope. You know, we, we read about the saints in the Old Testament that, that longed for the coming Messiah. He's going to one day send the Messiah and the Messiah is going to make all things right. Now, he has been sent. He is there among them. He is there teaching. He's not a light that is to be hidden any longer, but instead the light to expose the darkness of the world. The darkness existed where? In the hearts of the people. The effects of sin in the world. You can see it. It's very easy to see that in our own world today. Just turn on the news for two minutes at any point today. Darkness. Everything is chaos because of sin. Jesus coming then lifts the veil. There's no more shadow where the light is bright. So Jesus coming to earth Shines a light brightly, exposes that darkness, it uncovers the truth. But what did John 1 also say about his coming? Who did he come to? His own people. And what did they do to him? They did not accept him. They rejected him. Jesus kind of echoes this here. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning there's going to be some people that hear this and they still think that I'm talking about taking a candle inside a house. They don't see what I'm actually getting at. That this kingdom that I'm bringing has effects on the way that we see everything. He who has ears, let him hear. We saw this last week when Jesus talked about the parable or the word that is being sown. And sometimes what happens to that word, most of the time I would say, the bird comes and just gets the seed and eats it. And that bird, Jesus tells us, is like Satan It comes and scoops up the seed. For others... They will hear that message and they'll be changed. And what they do with the word is very important. For the one who has, Jesus say, more, says, more will be given. Meaning the one who gets the message. If Jesus changes you so that you can receive the message, is that the end of your Christian experience? Just hearing the gospel for the first time? No. What you, for the one who is, receives much more will be given to them. But what about for the one who doesn't get it? What about for the one who hears the gospel and rejects it, and then hears the gospel again and rejects it? Is it getting easier for them to accept the gospel at that point? No. Jesus says for him who 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 doesn't get it then, it's going to be even much harder for them to receive. Kind of reminds me of that seed that falls among the thorns. It could also be a nod to the, another parable that we'll learn about, the parable of the talents, where the servant is given something, what does he go and do with it? Instead of doing something with it, he just goes and buries it, thinking that his master will be pleased. Think about those that are listening here. Think about those that are standing around listening to Jesus teach this. Was it ever going to get any easier for them to believe the claims of Jesus Christ, as Jesus is physically standing there among them? Never. What's going to happen in just a few pages? Jesus is going to be put on trial. It's not a real trial. He's going to be killed. His followers are going to be scattered. Is it going to be easy to follow Jesus then? No. At this point, it's the easiest for them to follow Jesus. They should do it. What about that for today? Is there ever going to be an easier time for us to believe? brothers and sisters in christ or maybe you're sitting here and you don't believe is there ever going to be an easier time for you to believe we're sitting here all freely this morning we have our windows open doors are wide open anyone could walk in here we don't have to worry about anyone coming and shutting us down we are free to meet it is easy to read hear and understand If it's that easy, then what are we doing with this message, brothers and sisters in Christ? What are you doing with this message if you're here and you don't believe? If you're waiting for a better time to commit to the kingdom of God, good luck. I don't think you're going to see it. For the one who has not, more will be taken away. If you're on the fence about Jesus right now, chances are you won't be for long, meaning... You can't really stay on the fence. You either believe in him and you're with him or you don't. And you're against him. There's not really a third perspective on life. You either believe in Christ or you're against him. Those, That's it. And so young people, I want you to hear this. Your world is changing rapidly. Now is the time to commit. And this is for you older people too, by the way. Your world is changing rapidly. Now is the time for you to consider the claims of Christ. Next, the mysterious seed. The first part leaves us a little bit concerned, right? Well, this next part of the parable, I think, gives us more hope. Look with me at verses 26 through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is... As if a man should scatter seed on the ground. I love this. Kind of takes us back to the parable of the sower, right? He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come I mean how many times have we put seeds in the ground just kind of hoping that they might come up and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and you're like I wonder what happened to those seeds and we really don't even know what happened to those seeds or the ones that did come up yesterday there was nothing there now there's like a three inch little plant can we explain that probably like scientifically but do we just look at it like oh yeah that makes so much sense no it doesn't make any sense to us just like This guy here sounds a lot like that parable of the sower with a little bit of shift in the message. We are told that the farmer has really no control over his product. He goes to bed at night and he just kind of hopes for the best. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The seed sprouts, it grows. He knows not how. It produces fruit. He's still in the dark. He doesn't really know what's going on. How's it producing fruit? He doesn't know how or why. Nor does he command, he doesn't go out and say to the plant, okay, it's time to start producing fruit now. Wouldn't that be strange? However, what does the farmer recognize when it's time to harvest? He recognizes the fruit that's there and he says it's time to harvest and he puts the sickle to it and he harvests it. If the seed is still the message of the kingdom and the soil is still the hearts of the people, the plant represents what happens as a result of that seed being sown Then what's going on here? Think about it as we sow seeds, as we preach this message. We go to bed at night. It grows. It doesn't. We know not how. So then who do we have to trust in? Is there one who knows how and why and when? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. This is one of those verses that keeps me sane as a pastor as someone who has children as someone who regularly talks with people about my faith and wonders what the results might be and thinks man i did a really bad job of talking to them about jesus now they're going to go to hell well i can read this and find comfort in that look with me at isaiah 55 Verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I read that. And there is much comfort for me. You need to read that. As someone who regularly tells people this message. As someone who wants to see their kids raised up under this message. As someone who has loved ones who you've talked about Jesus to, and you're wondering, are they ever going to come around? Did I say something wrong? Is that why they don't believe? What does Jesus tell us here? Jesus wrote these words in Isaiah as well. He knew them when he told that parable to the people there in Mark. He remembered this passage. It's almost as if he had it right in mind as he did that. The word of God goes out like a seed And he knows exactly what's going to happen to it. For whatever reason, the Lord has chosen, as he calls it in 1 Corinthians, the foolishness of preaching to accomplish this task. But there are other media that can accomplish this task as well. Thankfully, we live in a time where you can pretty much hear the Word of God preached at any moment you'd like from any kind of method you'd like, really. And it's a good one. I told you last week about how the Lord came to me, he did so in a puppet show at the Baptist Student Union down the road. He uses whatever means he chooses to soften the hearts of the sinners. His word goes out, and it does exactly what it's meant to accomplish. Can you imagine the Lord on harvest Day standing out and looking at the field, saying, I Wish there'd been more i didn't expect there to be this left this this little or for him to say the opposite, that worked much better than I expected. No. How much fruit is there? Exactly what he expects there to be. So what about for us? Do we say those things? I wish I had done better. I wish I could have been smarter. I wish I would known more. I wish I would said the right thing. You say it all the time, right? I mean all the time. When it comes to loved ones, especially when we talk about when we talk to them about Jesus, when we talk to our friends about the Lord, we want we just want nothing more for them to believe what we know, to have the hope that we have. We want them to see it. There was points in my own life and when I really, really struggled with this. And I would look at the people that I was ministering to. Is there ever going to be any fruit? Or I even look at my own life. I think, Lord, I listen to preaching all the time. Why, why am I still struggling with these things that I've been struggling with for 10 years? Is there ever going to be any fruit? Well, there's faithfulness on our part here. We have to sow the seed. We have to put it out there. We have to take the chance on doing that. Yet, there's no chance in it at all. We aren't rolling dice here, hoping that that message will somehow take root. And there's none of that. The Lord is the one that makes it grow. When his word goes out, whether it comes from Charles Spurgeon, who we heard from this morning, the Prince of Preachers, Pastor Silvertongue himself, or if it comes from that time you had lunch with a friend and you really messed it up bad, the word goes out. And it does exactly as the Lord intends it to. Now we're responsible to sow that seed, to be sure, absolutely. But the result is what the Lord does. He brings it in. So let us take comfort in that. And then lastly, the powerful seed. We come to this parable of the mustard seed. They're starting at verse 30 there's a more famous parable probably that you've all heard of you know having the faith of a mustard seed and you're able to move mountains that's found in Matthew chapter 17 very similar theme here to this one the same kind of wisdom we're still dealing with the kingdom and how it's manifested on earth look with me there at verse 30 and he said with what can we compare the kingdom of God with a parable shall what parable shall we use for it it is like a grain of mustard seed which has been sown on the ground and is the smallest of all seeds on earth yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make a nest in its shade so in truth the mustard seed is very small if you've ever looked at a picture of them i've seen some people They have these little necklaces that have mustard seeds in them. I guess if you need an emergency seed or something, you have one. I don't really get those sorts of things. But I mean, you may want to plant a mustard seed at a whim and you just have it ready. I'm assuming that's what that means. Now, I get it. It's symbolic, right? It's symbolic of this verse that you can take something really small and you can grow something great from it. But we have to be careful here because what did we say about parables? There's not a moral of the story. It's not about a little mouse and a little lizard becoming friends and even little creatures can do great things. It's not what we're talking about here. This story is about the kingdom of God and how it can not only change the lives of Christians, it absolutely does change us, but it can change the entire world. Remember in the parable of the sower, what did the birds do? They came along and they picked up the seeds and they ate them. They were so small that the little birds could come by and just eat the seeds off the ground as they were thrown. Representing Satan, snatching them up. The cares of this world, Satan's tools that he uses to make sure that those seeds never take root. Now what are the birds doing? They're resting in the shade of this giant tree. That thing at which they could once eat now they find rest in. The mustard seed starts less than two millimeters in diameter. That's really small. But it can grow to over 15 feet tall. Makes me think of those Christians huddled in the upper room in the days right after Jesus died. Or those days right after Jesus ascended into heaven. They were all in the upper room and they were afraid. They didn't know. That tiny little Contingent that called themselves followers of Christ. Yet the Spirit moved among them. The word of God went out from them. And how many were added to their number? Did they trickle in a little at a time? Only the ones that weren't afraid? It was thousands that were added to their number. Think about that for a minute, because we just we just listed off the guys who Jesus picked for his. His team and it wasn't like the Charles Spurgeons of the world it was like some fishermen and a tax collector and yet from them they would be a force that couldn't be stopped and they would go out from Israel into Asia Minor into all of Europe the Roman government would see the threat and they would try to they would try to wipe them out but just a hundred years later what would the Roman government would be doing Resting in her arms. The world has always benefited from the presence of the church. Sure, there have been times the church hasn't been perfect. In fact, a lot of times, because the church has people in it. And people are sinners. We mess up really badly. But for the most part, the church is the Lord's. And what the Lord intends to do, He does. And the church... The world has benefited because the church has been here so let me be in let this be an encouragement for you especially in these difficult times you read about churches that are struggling if you read about churches in other parts of the world right now in some parts of the world they're not worried about the virus they're worried about someone coming in and shooting a place up you know we think someone's going to come in and see that we might be doing church wrong they're they're worried about their lives when they get together and meet and they read this and they see what is the Lord going to do with his kingdom it's not going to stay that little mustard seed he's going to grow it and so as we read this let us take comfort in the Lord he will see his kingdom grow those who once tormented the church We'll find rest in. And so in conclusion, what is at the middle? What is at the theme of each one of these, whether it be lights or seeds, it is the faithfulness of the one who brings growth to his kingdom. The Lord doesn't need us to do his work, but we do as we're commanded. And so let us be a faith people who are faithful to preach the kingdom of God kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel that we would preach this word so that people might know that he is lord and that he would be glorified let's go to him in prayer our lord jesus as we come to you this morning again we we hear from your word and From it, I see my own lack of faithfulness, my own fear and anxiety, my own need to be the one who grows the seed. Lord, help us to see you as faithful, to see you as able, you will grow your kingdom You will be glorified even in spite of those who still struggle to understand that. And so, Lord, we pray that you grow your kingdom here in Murray, Kentucky, and that your name be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.